Uh, I'm Scott, as they've said. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. One of my roles is to oversee the life group stuff, so if I can just chuck my two pennies worth in there as well. Life groups do open up today. If you want to feel connected, if you want to feel part of the family, if you want to go on your discipleship, start your discipleship journey, then actually being in a life group is imperative. It's really important to be part of one. Please sign up to one today. And I want to just say a thank you to all of the leaders who have said we will, we will lead a group this, this term. So thank you ever so much. Can we just give a round of applause to all those people who are going to be leading the group? So as uh, Sean and Sarah said at the beginning, today is Palm Sunday. It's, well, there was some woos there. Brilliant. It's the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem. Uh, to face his final few weeks, uh, final few days, sorry, before being crucified. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what we now call Holy Week. Now, you know, with any of the news stories that we've been through recently, any of the big ones, anything that's important, anything that's key, we know it's going to be on all the news channels, don't we? So if you think back to the pandemic, it was everywhere. We think back to uh, the Ukraine crisis as it is now. It's on every news channel. It's an important thing that's happening. And there's moments like that throughout the biographies of Jesus where the story is told through all four of the Gospels. And Palm Sunday is one of those stories. All the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell the story of Jesus making his triumphal entry. I wonder why, out of all the stories that could, have been, that could have been referred to in all four, I wonder why this was one of those that was marked, that God chose to be in all four of the stories. I mean, let's face it, his birth, which is pretty miraculous and amazing, is only fully recorded in two. It's not in all four of them. But his entry into Jerusalem is marked out in all four. For us, it just seems like the Sunday before Easter Sunday, but there's so much more to it than that. So we're going to read from John 12, verses 12 to 15, and then we're going to see some of the symbolism around this particular day. So we're going from John 12, verses 12 to 15. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Father, I want to thank you that this episode in Jesus' life is recorded I want to thank you we do get to hear about the triumphal entry. And I pray now that as I speak from these verses, that you would help us understand something of what you would have us understand from this. That our hearts would move, our hearts would be changed. I pray, Lord, we'd be those who would be able to welcome in the King of glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as we think forward to celebrating Easter next week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm just, going to get, I'm just going to get going. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to start with the first three words. The next day. The next day. To understand why he, what he's talking about, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 12. And at the beginning of chapter 12, we see that Jesus goes to his friend's house, Lazarus. That's where Mary and Martha are as well. Lazarus is their brother. And, and he goes to their house in Bethany. 
And we're told that at the beginning of that episode, at the beginning of that event, that that is six days before Passover. So he goes to their house six days before Passover. Now, the start of the seven days of Passover, you know, I'm just going to do some dates here just to help you catch up with why this is important. The beginning of Passover, the seven days of Passover, is on Nisan 15. Nisan being the first month of the Jewish calendar. All right? Six days before that is Nisan the ninth. Nisan ninth. So Jesus was at Lazarus' house on the ninth day of Nisan. That's when he was visiting. It's going to become evident why I'm telling you that now. Because when John records that it is the next day, what he's saying is the next day is Nisan 10. Nisan 10 is significant because if you, can, if you remember back uh, to the early stories, just before the first Passover that we read about in Exodus, we read that God says to the Israelites that on the 10th day of the first, first month of Nisan, that each household was to take a spotless lamb into the homes to set it aside, ready to, be, ready to be slaughtered on the 14th day before twilight. So this is what God had said. On the 10th day of the first month, which was Nisan, they were to take a pure spotless lamb into their home, set it apart, set it aside, and it would become their sacrificial lamb. So by the time that we get to Jesus' time, priests now do that job. They, take, they go out, they collect sheep in on the 10th day, they bring them into the temple, and they have them ready for the ceremonial sacrifice that is to come. And so as uh, the priests are, on this day, the priests are out collecting the Passover lambs to be sacrificed in the temple, as they are bringing in the lambs that day, the one who John the Baptist called the Lamb of God, that will take away the sin of the world, enters into the holy city of Jerusalem. He's brought into the home of the temple, the home of the Jewish nature, the center of the Jewish nation, the home of God. This was the day, friends, on Nisan 10, on Palm Sunday, that he was recognized and set apart as our pure, spotless Passover lamb. It isn't just another day. There is symbolism in what we're celebrating today. So Jesus enters in, and in verse 13, we see that there is this expectant crowd. Word has got around in the city of Jerusalem that Jesus is making his way to the city. And they go out and they gather palm branches and, and they go out to greet him and they're, they're shouting, Hosanna! And, and they're calling him the King of Israel. If we're wondering what the palm leaves were about, well, the palm leaves were, were, were representative of, of victory. a victory. A victory that they were anticipating that Jesus would lead them in. No doubt that victory was anticipated because they'd heard of his exploits. But most recently, they'd heard of the Lazarus being raised from the tomb. It's that Jesus that's coming to town. He's coming into the city today. He must be the one. Get the palm branches. Throw them on the ground. Wave them. There's a victory coming. They're expecting something. Their cry of Hosanna. It's got two potential meanings. 
The first is very British, I think. The first one is, save us, please. I think we'd be very comfortable with that rendering as Brits. Save us, please. We like politeness, don't we? The other one is, save us now, which I think is far more likely from the Middle Eastern region where they were coming from. It's far more likely to be, save us now. Remember, they're anticipating a victory. They aren't, they aren't asking. They're not going, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind saving us within the next kind of period of time? They're in, they're in anticipation. He's raised a guy from the dead. He's the one that's coming in. He's, he's coming to the city. Save us now. Come on, Jesus. There's anticipation in what's going on. And they recognize him as the king of Israel. Again, another declaration that their expectation is of the victorious king in the same vein as David, the Messiah, the chosen one is coming, the king of Israel. I'm a bit excited by all of this, you can probably tell. But they were crying out, so please handle me well. Now we do know that they were expecting a and anticipating a political, a military ruler in the same mold as David. That's what they were looking for. Someone who would free them from the tyranny of the unjust, oppressive, cruel regime of the Romans. So they once again could become an autonomous nation, just as they had been under their forefathers. That's what they were looking for. So all of these symbols make perfect sense. Signs of victory. The palm leaves, cries for salvation, Hosanna, and declarations of him being the king of Israel. The one who calls Lazarus out of a tomb after four days of being dead and buried in it. He is here. It's him that is coming into the city. He is ready to fight our battles and take it to the enemy. Just as David had done in the times of old. But of course, we know that's not how Jesus came. And that is, all mark, that is also marked out in this story. In John 14, John recalls that Jesus found a donkey and he sat on it. Now, if you were listening carefully at the beginning, you will know that the story was slightly different in the Matthew rendering. And it is in Mark and Luke as well. The other three accounts speak of Jesus sending disciples to find a donkey and its cult at a specific place. And here, if we, here we can maybe get confused and ask, well, was it Jesus who found it? Or was it the disciples he sent? Was it just a donkey? Or was it a donkey's colt as well? As I read around this, it, it, some would say John often writes with less detail than the other authors on some of the things. He seems more intent in getting to the nub of the matter. In uh, chapter 19, 19, verse 1, when he, when he says that Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, that's how it's recorded in 19.1. You'll get to that in your readings this week if you're tracking through Holy Week. I'm guessing none of us actually think it is Pilate that took him out and flogged him. But, that's, that's, but it was by his word that it happened. It's the same in law. He who acts through another is deemed in law to do it himself. That's what it would say in law. An article I read about this, just the, the incongruency between the two, said, In truth, there is no contradiction between John and the synoptic writers in regard to the procurement. I love this. It's so posh, isn't it? The procurement of the cult on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The disciples obtained the cult by the authority of Christ. 
who knew precisely where to send them for the animal. He found the donkey in one sense before sending his disciples after it and then actually obtained it by the agency of his disciples. I found it useful. <laughs> Maybe some of you are sitting there going, what? Maybe you're online going, I'm just going to go and check all that up online. But um, What we do know is Jesus sits on his donkey colt and he rides into Jerusalem as prophesied by Zechariah around 550 years before this happened. That's where this comes from. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold your king's coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 550 years before Jesus rode in, this was written. I just find that amazing. I love that, the prophetic sense. This isn't just a day. Palm Sunday isn't just a day as we count down. There is so much significance in this day. In riding in on a donkey, Jesus is declaring himself as the rightful king, the promised king, the last king from the line of David. But he isn't riding in to meet the city's expectations, but rather to fulfill the purposes of his father in heaven. He's going to disappoint them. You see, there was a tradition that when a king or a leader entered a city on a donkey, they were coming in peace. If they rode in on a war horse, they were coming to say, we are taking this place. But if they come in a donkey, it's with peace. And we see this at the back end of David's life, recorded in 1 Kings 1, 38 to 40, as he makes Solomon king. There we read, So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehodiah, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to Gihon Spring, with Solomon riding on king's, uh, King David's own mule. There Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with the oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem, playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. There was a joyous sound as Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. Solomon rides into Jerusalem as the rightful heir. He doesn't come to take, but he comes to serve, to continue the works of his father. And this act symbolizes the reign of Solomon, a reign of peace between the kingdoms, a reign of prosperity, a reign where Israel knew unparalleled peace. As Solomon was the first king in succession on the line of David, so Jesus enters as the last king in the succession line of David. As Solomon rides in on a mule, a donkey, signifying a reign of peace, so Jesus does the same. Jesus doesn't come to take the city, but to serve and to give his life. He comes with grace and mercy, not law, judgment, and condemnation. His mission is reconciliation, not retaliation. Forgiveness, not revenge. Peace, not war. Yeah, he does correct, but he doesn't bring shame. 
the people were expecting a warrior on a, on a white steed to come and free them from the Romans. But instead, they got someone who went into their own temple and turned over the tables there. A guy who talked to their own religious rulers and corrected them. See, Jesus was trying to get the house of Israel in order rather than attacking the foreign powers that were imposed upon them. This he does as the prophesied prince of peace riding in to take his place as the king of Israel. Friends, you can imagine why the people who heralded him on heralded him heralded him heralded him in on Sunday were calling for his crucifixion on Friday. Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. He didn't even say what he wanted them to say. He didn't challenge the enemy, he challenged them. So what for us? I wonder what king we have, we have expected when he rode into our lives. The truth is, if we would say that we are followers of Jesus here today, we've already said, Hosanna! Maybe we said please on the end rather than now. But we said Hosanna to him and have welcomed him into our hearts. We have heralded him as king of our lives. I wonder though, what is our expectation of him? Are we expecting him to defeat all our enemies now? Is that our expectation? Do we expect him to come and rid us of the Romans of our lives? As much as we understand him as the Prince of Peace and our gracious and loving King, do we secretly, and maybe even not so secretly at times, get frustrated with Jesus because he doesn't change the circumstances that we live in? He doesn't turn our enemies on their head and f make them flee? In fact, Jesus is actually committed in changing us to be more like himself through the circumstances we find ourselves in. His mission isn't and never was to give us an easy life, but a life that is hallmarked by his, by his peaceful traits of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. A life of humility. And he would ironically say that that is living life to the full. The people of Jerusalem shouted out, Save us! on a Sunday, but ended up crucifying Jesus on a Friday. Because they didn't like the way he was going about bringing them their salvation. They ended up turning their backs on him and ultimately putting him to death. Let's face our Jesus and welcome him in again. With all that said, I do want to point this out. If we know our Bibles, we know that there is a day coming when Jesus is going to come, and the picture that God chooses to reveal of this is of a warrior king riding on a horse. He's coming. That day will come. In Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16, it says this. Then I, this is, this is um, John again writing as he's having the revelation given to him, a picture given to him of, of the moment that Jesus will come. And he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. 
Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. You can, if, if, you, if you're getting any of this in a, in a moment, just every now and then rouse would be good. Like, yeah, oh, you know, I know we're Brits, many of us, but come on. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title. King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, there is a day coming. And it probably won't look like him riding into Jerusalem. I don't know what it's going to look like. But he is known as this mighty warrior, the one who rides the horse. Because he is going to end it all. The king that they were expecting on this day will come and he will wind up all history as we understand it. He will slay his enemies and judgment will come. But for now, but for now. We know our king to be a peaceful king, bringing challenge to his own people so they reflect him more and more. And we're made more like him so that on that final day when we hear good and faithful servant, when we know this day, whether we're following on behind on our white horses or we're caught up in the air as it's all happening, we, we don't know. We'll be able to, he'll be able to hear those words, good and faithful servant, well done. This is a significant day. There is so much symbolism about the day when Jesus rode in, and we just call it Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus was set apart as the pure, spotless lamb on the 10th day of Nisan. It's the day where his victory is proclaimed. He is victorious. He is the king. But he comes in peace. And if we expect him to get rid of all our enemies here and now, then we're just like the guys who turned from him and ended up shouting, crucify him, bring out Barabbas. Because we've missed the point. He came in peace to stand amongst us and walk with us through the things that we go through, not to destroy all the enemies and take them away. That day, though, is coming. Amen? Amen. And we are told in the word that as we look forward to that day, that we are to be those who remember him until he comes again. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take communion as I wrap up this preach this morning. We're going to take communion together. As we take communion, if you know you are bitter or frustrated with Jesus, I, I want to call you to turn back to him today. Maybe cry Hosanna out to him again today. Once again, herald him in and know that although he has saved you, forgiven you, made you righteous before God, he is still in the process 
of making you more like him every day. And that is often done through the circumstances that we find ourselves in. If you wouldn't say that you are a follower of Jesus today, then this one part of our meeting is something to just let you pass you by. Taking communion is the mark of a follower of Jesus. It's a meal that Jesus himself started. And he said to do this to remember him until he comes back again. However, if you are someone who has heard of Jesus and what he has done, and you would want to say Hosanna to him and welcome him in this morning, then you can do that. Maybe you could do that at home if you're watching in. Maybe if you want to do that, just let this pass you by for now, but then speak to the person you came with afterwards or come and see me or someone you've seen at the front. We'd love to chat with you as you ask some questions. Maybe that moment is for you today and we'll lead you to Jesus. You'll make that confession of faith to him and then we'll take communion with you then. But for now, just let this bit pass you by. So here we go then. Communion cups are on your chairs. For those in the room, for those of you online, hopefully you'll be able to go and get something to, to have communion right now. We're going to uh, take the wafer out of the top. I've got two. It's a bonus week. <laughs> Look at that. Anyone else get two in the room? Look at that, Anne. Look at these. These are the blessed people. Yes, yeah, very good. <laughs> I'm only joking. We're all blessed. We've got Jesus. It was a flippant comment. Really sorry. Okay, if you haven't yet, peel back the back, peel back the top. Okay, and then I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to take the wafer together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we cried out our Hosanna prayer to you, you received us. Your broken body spoke a great victory over us, and we now get to call you Lord and Savior. Amen. terrible about most of you only having one so I only ate one we're now going to get to the, the second part. can we stand together if we're able can we just stand together maybe even if you're at home maybe you'd stand in your living room right now in a couple of moments we're just going to we're going to toast the king and I know we do this regularly but I think it's very appropriate today he is our king because he shed his blood for us, the pure spotless lamb set apart on Palm Sunday all those years ago, now risen again and showing us that death, sin and the devil have all been defeated and that one day he will return again. And so friends, let's raise a toast to King Jesus, to King Jesus. And I think we're going to finish now with a song. Or has that changed? So if the band can come up. We're going to finish with the lion and the lamb. Jesus is both. He is the lion and the lamb. He is the king on a horse. He's the king on a donkey. And as we sing this, let's just remember, he rode into town. Amen?